0: Well, after being stirred in our hearts listening to the music tonight we'll be able to sing all the better commencing with 265 I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean That's <coughs> all stand to sing Let's all pray. Our Father, the singing tonight has been wonderful as we have contemplated what the Savior has done on our behalf. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. We're led here to the heart of the gospel and Lord, this is a tremendous way to begin our gospel service tonight. And we pray that this theme will not leave us all the way through and that we will rejoice again and again in the great work of Christ, crucified upon the cross of Calvary for our sin. We come to this house tonight with joy and with rejoicing in our hearts because of the Savior and all that He's done for us. We come, Lord, with expectation because we know that Thou art a God ready to bless your people, more ready to bless than we are even to ask for a blessing. Jabez prayed for God's blessing. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. And Lord, we would reiterate that blessing tonight in a very personal way. As we sit here, we sit with a number of people around us, but Lord, we are individuals, and we pray that you will come and deal with us individually and personally. And bless each soul that is here. Help us, Lord, to be pointed heavenward and Christward. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes away from the ordinary things of life, that we might fix them, even in this time, upon the extraordinary. Because everything about God, who He is and what He has done, is extraordinary. And may these be the things that captivate our attention and move our souls And causes, Lord, to come to your presence with an overwhelming sense of joy bursting forth from our hearts. We thank you for all the Lord has done. You've accomplished so much for us as families. And as a church, we acknowledge your mercies to us. We thank you for the start of the year and this month that is almost gone. And we look back over it and we have to say and testify how good God has been. And Lord, you've been with us in every service. You've spoken to hearts. You've sent a breath of revival to your people. We have been challenged about missionary work as we think of the missionary weekend. We have been challenged about gospel work as we think about what the Lord has been doing in our midst. And we thank you again from the depths of our souls for sinners that have been converted to Christ. We say in our heart, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And Lord, you've given us such a start, may it continue, all the year through, the pouring out of the blessing of God. And Lord, you can only use this as we walk with humility before our God, and so keep us humble. Help us as we thought about these weeks to be clothed with humility. Help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that this mind might be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. That was the mind of humility. Help us to be holy, for the Savior was holy and harmless and separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. May we walk with pure lives and godly testimonies in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation that is round about. And Lord, may the testimony that we bear to the outside world be effective and have a good influence and even be the means of bringing others to the Savior we pray that you'll bless this meeting in which we gather. I want the Lord to be here and so hover over this gathering by your Spirit, work in every heart, bless the dear converted among us, speak to them especially, show them their need of God's salvation. Open their eyes to see, their hearts to understand, to comprehend the mighty love of God in Christ, and to see there is one who came from the heights of glory went all the way to the cross of Calvary, and there poured out his blood in a sacrifice for our sin. how we bless thee again tonight that there is a fountain open in the house of David for sin and for uncleanness, and that fountain is the fountain of Christ's blood. Lord, bring sinners to it that they might wash and be made clean and know what it is to obtain pardon and peace with God forevermore. What we pray for Hebron, we pray for every other congregation tonight, where the Lord Jesus Christ will be proclaimed as the Redeemer of men. May sinners be brought to Christ for Jesus' sake. Amen. The hymn 100, that lovely hymn about the substitutionary work of Christ, O Christ, what burdens by thy head are load. Was laid on thee. Let's sing it. Stand in the a lovely hymn, beautiful words. We bid you welcome in the Saviour's name to God's house tonight here at Hebron. And as we meet together, we do so in the presence of our God and with one another. And those that are joining us on the internet, we're glad to have you. May you be blessed just where you are. For those in house, supper will be served. If you can stay and enjoy a cup of tea, something to eat, please do so. After the meeting, there's a children's workers' time when they need to discuss and get ready for Tuesday night. So, all that are interested in being involved in Youth Challenge this year, please do stay behind, and that will be in the church hall. Tomorrow morning, the mother and toddlers, or the Hebrew and tots as it is, uh, meets at 10 o'clock for a couple of hours. And at night time, it's the school management. Committee meeting at 8 o'clock. We're so glad to be getting into the schools as you know and this year already we're booked for at least 13 schools so far and this week tomorrow Cara Rea I'll be there God willing Christina will be in the high school at just lunchtime just after lunch Wednesday Greg will be in the high school Friday, Christina will be doing the SU at Gary Duff. We tell you this because we want you to pray for the children of our town and district. On Tuesday, Youth Challenge recommences at 7 o'clock, and we want a really good start to the meetings this year. If you're a parent, you have small children, send them out. And if you're a worker, do what you can to bring others in with you. And let's really pray that God will do a work of mighty grace. So delighted this morning to hear of a child in Sunday school who professed faith in Christ. And our superintendent had the joy of pointing this wee fellow to the Lord. And we are so glad in what the Lord is doing uh, this year already. And our souls are thrilled. Wednesday, we need to pack a couple of pallets for Romania. If you can come at seven o'clock, thank you. (coughs) <coughs> Thursday night is the midweek at 8 o'clock and this is the night that we remember the work of our Christian school Friday night is youth fellowship at 8 o'clock Friday night is Presbytery and Monaglass Free Church and Saturday the open air at 11 o'clock in the center of the town. every Lord's Day begins with the prayer meeting <coughs> as far as the public meetings of the church are concerned that's at 8 o'clock. We had a goodly number this morning who gathered for prayer and a really good season before the Lord. Sunday school is 10.30, Bible class a quarter to 11. <clears throat> and the, guy, the, the, the title is Good Guidance for Godly Living. Just to get that right, I, I think I had a little bit of Phil's uh, title for last month, for this past month, and a little bit of uh, Mervyn's. But this, I hope, is right tonight good guidance for godly living, and as a study in the book of James, and Mervyn will come to James himself, the man, and the message. Worship service, 12 noon, family night, Dr. Nigel Campbell will be here to bring his testimony. We're asking you to share this as widely as possible, make others known, invite them to come, pictures of grace in the life of a Christian doctor. And Nigel will just give us testimony, tell us how the Lord saved him and what it means to serve the Lord even as a doctor, that's his profession. The prayer meeting will be before at 6.30. Just a reminder, seniors, Tuesday week will be the one that will see it recommencing for this year, and the Hebron Ladies' Fellowship is the following night at 7, when Margaret Russell will be here to speak. There's a workday on the 10th of February. If you can help with that, please put it into your diary. And then the next night, Samuel, God willing, will be ordained as an elder in the church at our evening gospel service at 7. And there's a special 50th anniversary rally of the Youth Council on the 16th of February. We announced the Mission Board special meetings in Lisburn from the 6th to the 8th of March. And you'll see this advertised. And if you can get to any of those nights, I know that they'll be good for you, as focus is given once again to the Great Commission. Sabbath School Social, the 15th of March, annual Bible conference, when the Reverend Higginson will be here to preach, is the 8th to the 12th of April. That's all the announcements that I need to make tonight. We're going to bring our tithes and offerings into the storehouse in accordance to, with Malachi 3 and 10. And it's the home mission outreach envelopes. Let's sing together 324. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. No friend spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree. Jehovah said, can you? Was nothing. To me, keeping our seats. need to clarify one little announcement, and that is concerning the workers that are meeting after this meeting. That will take place upstairs in Julie's classroom, just the one, the large room in the corner, uh, so that the mothers and toddlers group can get set up for tomorrow morning, so that will facilitate them. Can you turn with me to 2 Corinthians, in the chapter five, Gary Duff doesn't have SU on Friday. I think it must be the assembly just maybe to let you know what you're praying about when you're thinking about the school's ministry this week. Let's read from the 10th verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word to every heart. And it's that last verse that will be our text tonight. We said we would take for the title double imputation. You'll see what we come to in just a moment or two. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. With this verse before us that we want to preach on, let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. These verses that have spoken to our hearts already. We cannot read down a section of Scripture like this without seeing something and hearing something in our hearts from the Lord. And as we come to this text at the end that we want to preach on, Make it live in our hearts. Help us to understand it a little bit more. And what we understand, may it be really applied to our hearts tonight. May this text be a blessing to your people. And may it be an awakening call to those that know not the Lord. May they realize what Christ has done. And in view of Calvary, at the sight of the cross, The dying of Jesus, what he did for us there on Calvary's tree, may they be drawn to know him. Give me the help that I need now in the ministry of the word. Grant me, Lord, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. We are led here to the heart of the gospel in this text the substitutionary death of Christ. There is not a greater doctrine in all the Scripture for poor lost sinners than this one. The fact that Jesus took our place and died for us, he paid the price of our sin in full when he became sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him we speak about double imputation and really what it's describing is this it is the act of god in visiting the guilt of believers on christ and conferring the righteousness of christ upon believers understand that jesus Taking our sin, our guilt, it being imputed to him, me and his, and at the same time, his righteousness being imputed to us. If you want an excellent exposition of what imputation means, I would refer you to Dr. Kearns' dictionary on theological terms. If you have it, go home and read it. It'll bless you. But dear sin tonight, I want you to sit up and I want you to be blessed by this text. It it ought to thrill your heart. And Dear sinner in this meeting, I want you also to sit up and, and give your mind and your heart over to the wondrous truths of this text. Let each truth permeate your being and sink into your soul. Bring you face to face with a mighty Redeemer who loves you with everlasting love and demonstrated that love beyond all shadow of a doubt by his death at the cross of Calvary. Now the great apostle has drawn our attention to some of the most vital and challenging truths in this chapter. There is a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You read the opening couple of verses and well, we're just led to heaven, aren't we? To think about what the Lord has laid up for every true believer in Jesus Christ. One day we shall be absent from the body and present with the Lord as we read in verse 8, referring to the moment of our death as Christians. When we die, there's the separation of the body and the soul. Our soul will be absent from the body and where will we be immediately? In the presence of the Lord with Christ, which is for better. We labor, therefore, to Be accepted of Him, as we read in verse 9. That's how you ought to live your life every day. To please God, to please the Lord, to be accepted of Him in your daily walk. And there is a judgment day for the believer. This is where we began our reading in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. We ought to live with eternity's values in view. In light of that day when you and I will stand before the presence of the Lord Jesus as he sits upon the the throne of glory, here called the judgment seat of Christ, when our works will be called up before him, when we will be judged according to the things that we have done in this life, whether those things have been good or whether those things have been evil. The terror of of the Lord ought to motivate us. Want to think about that. Verse 11 says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Why would we want to persuade a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody out there in the community about the things of God? Why would we want to urge them to seek Christ? The terror of the Lord! When we think of how fearful a thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God, we ought to go out there and persuade men to turn to Christ for there is a hell and there is a judgment day for them likewise. And there's another great motivation, probably the greatest motivation, and that's the love of Christ because the apostle goes on to speak about it in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The terror of the Lord ought to constrain you The terror of the Lord ought to motivate you. But my, the love of Christ and all that He's done, all that He's accomplished on that center tree when He died for us, that ought to be the central motivation that sends us out to serve Him and to bring others to the Savior. And then a true Christian experiences a definite change in their life. That change has not taken place in you. Just let me tell you tonight, you're not a Christian. The Bible is clear on this. When a person comes to know Christ, there's a change, a radical change. It's spoken of in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation, as the original word is. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that's the change of grace. When you're saved and you belong to the Lord, He transforms your life, and he changes you inside out, outside in, every way has it taken place. We also learn from the apostle that we are ambassadors. Verse 20 tells us that. What What a privilege to be an ambassador. Some of you might count it a privilege to be an ambassador for your country, to be sent somewhere in the world to represent your land. Well, God has made every single child of his, his ambassadors, that we might represent him, that we might tell others about him and speak well of him. And then in this final verse, we have imputation and how that it is a grand and a glorious truth. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I could preach on any one of these great truths tonight. This chapter is just saturated with with great verses to proclaim. They stir the heart. They challenge the soul. They provoke the thoughts in our minds. But it's this last one in the final verse that I want to to single out as a glorious gospel text that should bring you face to face with your need. And I, I pray as never before that you'll really see what your need is of a Savior as we think of verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. Now, here's the thoughts I want to leave with you, just three simple thoughts. First of all, the substitution of Christ, for He hath made Him to be sin for us. There are little gospel expressions throughout the Scriptures which highlight with beauty and clarity, the great substitutionary death of Christ. That bring us to see and to understand what He accomplished on the cross as our mediator and representative. Fully taking our place, dying in our stead, undergoing the wrath of a holy God against sin, receiving the full punishment of our sin that was justly ours. Probably for me, the greatest and grandest Old Testament chapter is Isaiah 53. Maybe it's your favorite chapter too. I don't think that you'll get a grander exposition of Christ in his sufferings than in this chapter that leads us to the man of sorrows who was smitten of God and afflicted. There is a memory text which has been engraven upon my heart and mind since childhood. It's the words of verse 6 of Isaiah 53. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we are healed. I can remember as a boy that text being on the wall of my bedroom. And so I, I remember it well. The preposition for is an essential word here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And that, that word just simply means instead of. Jesus was wounded instead of. He was bruised instead of or for our. Come to the New Testament, and to the banks of the River Jordan. It's the commencement of our Lord's earthly ministry, and John the Baptist is the one who has the immeasurable privilege of announcing Jesus publicly to the world. When challenged by the old religious hypocrites of his day, for John was baptizing new converts, and when these Pharisees challenged him about that, why he baptized them, John immediately spoke about Christ. I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latched I am not worthy to unloose. The very next day, on the banks of the Jordan, John has the honor of introducing the congregation to Christ, the great substitute for sin. And how did he do it? Well, you all know how he did it. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Here at the beginning of his short ministry, the great work that he came to do is declared in this very simple yet profound statement. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world the people could immediately identify with what John was saying. They were familiar as Jewish people with the Old Testament and the sacrificial offering of the lamb. They knew about God's lamb of the Old Testament, the Passover lamb, the the lamb that was offered daily in the temple, other lambs that were slain where the blood was shed. And so when John says, behold the lamb of God, he was really saying this is now the fulfillment of all that we know about in the Old Testament. And you see all those lambs that were taken and slain and the blood was shed, it was all pointing to this lamb, God's lamb, which taketh away the sin of the world. Those lambs of the Old Testament were types and shadows. They of themselves could not take away sin. Bible makes it clear that the blood of the animal could not deal with sin, but it is the blood of Christ that, it, that deals with our sin. As God's people We sit at the Lord's table to commemorate this great sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. And sometimes we sing, we always like to sing at the Lord's table, but sometimes we sing Bonner's hymn. Mine is the sin, but thine the righteousness. Mine is the guilt, but thine the cleansing blood. Here is my robe, my refuge, and my peace, thy blood, thy righteousness, O Lord, my God. And it's so true. Mine is the sin. And mine is the guilt. But where has it been laid? Upon God's Lamb. There at Calvary. I stand in the shadow of the cross. I contemplate the crucified Lord. I can only see the outward manifestation of sin, my sin, and what it did to Him. And so what I'm viewing really is something that's physically happening in the body of Christ and all the wounds of the cross, the lacerated back, the crown of thorns, the pierced side, the hands, the feet, all that that I see outwardly, and that's what my sin did to the Lord Jesus. But I also know as I stand at the cross, that there is an unseen hand that is stretched out against this Savior. In the darkness of that hour, there is the, the transferal of my sin to Christ. My sin is led to His account. It is fully imputed to Him, so that my sin becomes His. Who of himself never sinned. And Jesus is now wounded for transgressors. He is made sin for us. There is a depth in what is happening here that we cannot fully understand. But good enough for me to know my sin is now transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ. David in the 40th Psalm. He speaks of his experience, and we love this psalm. It's probably one of the ones that we read more than others. And we have sometimes taken it as a testimony psalm, a conversion story, but that's not exactly what David is speaking about, as you know. But we can look at it that way. It's very biblical and scriptural to do that. How the Lord took us out of the horrible pit, out of the Mary clay, set our feet upon the rock, established our goings, put a new song into our mouths, even praise unto our God, many shall say it, and on the, on the Lord rely. lie. And you could say well, amen to that. That's the testimony of every Christian here, what the Lord has done for us in grace, taking us from that awful place, putting us on the rock, Christ Jesus, and giving us a joy that is unspeakable, that new song that is full of glory. But you know, it was David's testimony of a difficult time in his life, as we know. We don't need to go into that. But David is writing there. He's writing from personal experience what he's passing through, or what he has passed through. The point I'm making is this. It is also a messianic psalm. And that simply means it's one of those psalms that points down through the centuries of time to the days of Christ. Just turn for a moment or two to the Psalm 40 and Look at verse 7 through to verse 10, for example. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And as we read this, we know that we're reading what David is writing and we know that we're reading something of what his experience is. But I want you to see that here is Christ in this messianic psalm It's what the Lord is passing through, and the the words here could well be spoken by the Savior. Verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Here we have the prince of preachers, the greatest preacher of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, preaching to the congregations of people, proclaiming the righteousness of God. But note verse 12, because this is where sometimes the controversy goes in and some people say this cannot be a messianic psalm and certainly this verse cannot point to Christ and you'll understand when we read it why some might say that. For innumerable evils have, taken, have compassed me about. Well, that certainly was so of Christ. But notice what it says next. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. And the objection is made, and we understand why, that this could not be Christ speaking at this moment, for he could not speak about mine iniquities, for Jesus was completely without sin, and that is true. And yet, my dear friends, this is imputation. This is what the Lord did. He took our sins, not his sins, but he took our sins, and our sins became his sins as far as the judgment of God was concerned. And he bore them as if he was the sinner, as if he was the one that is being condemned. He was the one that was punished for our sins. My dear unconverted friend, I want you to see the great work of substitution, what Jesus did at the cross when he was made sin for us. He took our punishment. He took the penalty of sin. He became the sin bearer. Jesus is the personification of love. His sacrificial death at Calvary is the greatest demonstration of God's love for mankind. For God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you could just get to the cross where Jesus was made sin for you and grasp the great eternal truths of Christ's suffering and and sacrifice and sin-bearing, I believe it would change your life. Hasten there for the Calvary. Oh, watch Jesus die. Just stand there for a moment in the shadow of the cross and, and see him pay the price of sin, your sin, taking your place the substitution of Christ for He of me and Him to be sin for us. If you could just grasp that truth. Oh, I believe it would bring you to Christ. It would save your soul. But then secondly, and j- just quickly, we have the perfection of Christ. Because the text goes on to say, who knew no sin? Jesus is the perfect, sinless, flawless, crimeless Son of God. Paul declares to these Corinthians that he knew no sin, Jesus Christ, that no sin of his own. And yet he was treated and accounted as, as a sinner, as our representative. And though it all, and through it all rather, he remained the perfect Son of God without sin, the impeccable nature of christ is a fundamental doctrine of scripture that means he was totally totally pure totally sinless john declared in first john 3 and 5 in him is no sin peter declared in first peter 2 22 who did no sin we learn from paul that he's holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And that's why he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto him. He is designated in the scripture as the Holy One of God, Mark 1, 24. The Holy One and the just, Acts 3 and 7, 18. He is called the one that is holy and he that is true in Revelation 3 and verse 7, for Jesus to have sinned, even for a moment, in the slightest way, would mean that he would cease to be God and would cease to be the sacrifice or could not be the sacrifice for sin. The Old Testament lamb had to be spotless, as you know, and this was crucial If there was any kind of defect or malady in that lamb, it could not be offered in sacrifice. You take the Passover lamb for an example, and we read in the book of Exodus, and the chapter 12 and verse 5, these words, Your lamb shall be without blemish. And that's very important. You go on to read how from the 10th day to the 14th day, that lamb was scrutinized. It was taken and and it was watched and it was put under, as it were, the microscope to make sure that there was no blemish, no defect at all in that lamb before it could be offered in sacrifice. This all pointed to Christ, as did the other sacrifices, the perfect lamb. I love that verse in 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ was sinless in his nature, character of Christ, what he was as a man. He was sinless, not only in his nature, but in his conduct, everything that he did every work that he did, pure and holy, completely. And Christ was sinless in his conversation, every word that he spoke. He was sinless in his thoughts. There was never a wrong thought that crossed the mind of Christ. He was sinless in his heart because he is perfect. He knew no sin. This is the sacrifice that was made for you and me. Then we come to the last part of the text. And here we have the imputation of Christ or the imputation of Christ's righteousness that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now something marvelous takes place when a man turns from his sin to Christ. As the cross... At the cross, our sin and guilt was laid upon Him whenever He was made sin for us. But there's a mighty glorious outcome for the believing soul, and that is that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In order for this to take place, His righteousness must be imputed to us by faith, transferred to us. And this happens when we see Christ as Savior. He has our sin as his very own, in all the punishment that we deserved. He carried it away at the cross of Calvary and praise God when we come to him, His righteousness is given to us. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And this means that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our guilt and our sin, but instead He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. Isn't that wonderful? He's taken away our sin. He could do that because of His sacrifice of the cross. And in the place of our sin, He has given to us His own righteousness so that when God looks upon us, He sees us differently. He sees us pure, as pure as Christ Himself. This imputed righteousness is the foundation Of our reconciliation to God and our acceptance by Him. When He looks at us, He doesn't see what we used to be, but He sees His Son. We therefore walk differently. I think you understand that if our sin has been removed and now we have the righteousness of Christ, we walk differently. As we mentioned in verse 17, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, all things are passed away, all things become new. It cannot be otherwise. We now have the righteousness of Christ upon us. That's bound to make a difference in your life and in mine. If you are without Christ in this meeting tonight, you are still in your sin. You are condemned already, the Bible tells us. You're under the sentence of death. You're destined to the fires of hell forevermore. This is the punishment for our sin. This is what we deserve. If God was to bring down you down to the sides of the pit this very second, right into the damned, we would have to declare that's just and that's right because that's what you deserve. But the good news of the gospel is encapsulated in our text tonight. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You must come and take your place as a sinner, a guilty, vile, hell deserving sinner. You must see that there is an answer for your sin, only one answer, one remedy through the substitutionary work of Christ, the fact that He took your place, He took your sin, He paid the price for that sin, He bore your punishment. But you must come by faith to Him and confess your sin unto Him. When you confess your sin, the promise is He is faithful and He is just to forgive you for your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the moment that you do that, you will be pardoned and forgiven and you will be clothed upon with the righteousness of Christ. Robert Murray McShane in his beautiful hymn that we sang tonight, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. He spoke of how there was a time when Jehovah said Kenya was nothing to him the Lord our righteousness. That's the meaning of Jehovah said, can you? I think you know that. He had no thought of his sins, nailing Jesus to the tree. But the free grace of God awoke him. And he trembled to die. And he purposed in his heart that Jehovah said, can you? His Savior must be. He got his eyes opened and he came to Christ, who then became all things Him. And this is the transformation that you need, and this is the transformation that you can have this very night if you but come to Christ, who was made sin for you, who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, my friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the great work of Christ in His substitutionary death of the cross. Will you receive it now by faith? Will you take Christ as your Savior, know your sins forgiven, and receive His righteousness, giving you a standing before Almighty God? Let us pray. I wonder tonight, have you been brought to see the Lord? Have you got a little glimpse of what He did? Dying for you, taking your place. the Perfect, spotless, pure Lamb of God. At the cross of Calvary, bearing your sin and removing it, taking it away. So that when you come to Him by faith, You can be saved, your sin's dealt with, and you can receive his righteousness. Have you seen that tonight? I trust you have. And therefore, you need to do something. You need to take that step of faith that brings you into Christ. I can't do it for you. Nobody else in this meeting tonight can do it for you. Only you can do it. Salvation is a very personal matter between you and the Lord. When you come, when you say, Lord, No longer will I roam in sin. No longer will I reject your son. No longer will I stand at a distance from God's remedy. But Lord, I come tonight and I will receive Christ as my Savior. You can do that just where you're sitting. It's just a step, just a prayer away. May God give you grace to call upon his name. We thank you, gracious God, for the one of whom the scripture has spoken about tonight. And you know sin, yet became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Lord, we thank you that so many here have come to understand this truth. And this night we can say we're washed, we're cleansed, we're renewed, the blood has been applied, our sins have been taken away, We've been clothed upon with the righteousness of Christ. We have a standing with God. We're accepted. We know that we'll pass through the judgment. We will go to heaven one day, not saved by our effort or merit, but saved through Christ and all that he has done. May others come to this realization and seek the Lord right now while he may be found. Hear this, our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to sing that lovely hymn, three hundred and two. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. midst flaming worlds, and these are red. With joy shall I lift up my head. This is the only thing that's going to give you boldness to stand on the great day before the Lord, knowing that you're accounted for in Christ. May you come to Him if you don't know Him. Amen. <coughs> let rise to sing. to the conclusion tonight we rejoice in Jehovah said can you the Lord our righteousness and again it's our prayer that men and women and young people who know not the saviour will come to him and know their sins forgiven and know what it is to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ and to have that right standing with God Lord this is your work and it is a work of grace do it in the hearts of men and women now dismiss us in your fear and with your love upon us and help us to live for your glory in the incoming week for jesus sake amen